This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Welcome back in right now, the time 816, as we invite you into the action line. we got a packed show for you today. And uh, as we mentioned, piecing things together with Zoom, phone calls, people in and out of the studio to uh, keep things at the right number here for us. But we're going to get things started for you. And our first guest this morning is going to be State Rep. Charlie Baum. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thank you guys uh, for joining us this morning and coming in and kind of keeping our listeners updated on some of the big decisions you guys have been talking about and making. And uh Anybody that sent in any listener questions, we have compiled those, and uh, we're going to get to those throughout the show as well. Now, uh, Charlie, we wanted to bring you in first because I know we were slightly short on time, so I uh, wanted to kind of open things up with you. What have folks? Uh, what do folks need to know? What's new as you guys meet for the 112th Tennessee General Assembly? This all happening over the last month or two. Uh, what's new? What are some of the things that uh, we talked about last time that the listeners can be updated on? Well, I know you've got a lot of topics you're going to be covering, and you've got a lot of questions that are going to be forthcoming. One of the topics I'd like to make some comments on is the budget. The governor, Governor Lee, proposed uh, our state's budget for this upcoming fiscal year in early February, and over the last two months, members of the uh, state house and the Senate have been holding budget hearings to review this budget and to make proposed changes to it. We've heard a number of comments from different state departments, uh, revenue forecasts, different requests have been made on needs that we need to allocate money for, and we're going to try and um, come up with the most uh, fiscally conservative, responsible budget to provide services for the, the Tennesseans we serve as possible. So I thought I'd give you some updates on the budget as it currently stands now. This is the proposed budget. It hasn't passed yet, but this is where we are right now. The budget document that we're working from at the moment is about a $42 billion budget. It is projecting state revenue growth of around 3%. That's conservative because national forecasts of economic growth are actually higher than 3% for this next fiscal year, and so we're projecting probably a little bit less tax revenue growth than may actually be realized. But with these resources, we are uh, intending to fund a number of different priorities. These include capital improvements, rural economic development, uh, salaries and benefits for state employees, uh, funding for K-12 through education, resources for 10 care, human services, and corrections. I'd like to make a few comments on a couple of the items on the list that I just read out. One that has generated a lot of attention from our constituents is uh, what we're doing for rural economic development and our rural communities. One a uh, resource that many rural communities lack is broadband access. And so over the last three years, the state of Tennessee has allocated quite a bit of money to expand broadband. Uh, three years ago, we allocated $10 million in the state budget. Two years ago, $15 million. And last year, $20 million. 
In the proposed budget that we're working on right now, we are allocating, proposing to allocate $200 million to increase broadband access to our rural communities. This would come primarily in the form of grants and tax credits to local governments and private entities. So you can do the math. If last year we allocated $20 million to this and this year we're considering $200 million, this is a significant investment. We'd like to cover the whole state with broadband access. You may wonder, are there any states that are fully covered? I suspect there are probably some heavily populated states in the Northeast, like maybe Rhode Island, that are fully covered. But for a state like Tennessee to be fully covered would be a major achievement. I have asked several people how much money the state would have to spend in order to fully cover the state, and I have gotten different answers. One person told me $500 million, another department said $400 million, and a third entity told me $350 million. Anyway, this budget includes $200 million. We are hoping that this grant funding from the state will be matched from outside sources, either local governments or federal grants, that would make up enough of the difference to hopefully come close over time uh, to covering the, the, uh, covering the state. Another item on this list that I've mentioned is we are proposing $120 million for salary increases for our K-12 through teachers. This ought to translate into roughly a 4% salary increase. And a third item on the list I'd like to mention are capital improvements. The state is making a major investment in new capital structures as well as maintenance on existing capital structures and some of this will affect our local community here in Rutherford County. The proposed budget includes about 50 million dollars for a new applied engineering building at MTSU. We are also being fiscally responsible in that we are allocating some money for our rainy day fund. At the moment our general fund rainy day account contains about 1.5 billion dollars and we're wanting to move uh, another $50 million into that rainy day account. Statutorily, we have a goal of having a reserve balance in our rainy day fund for the general fund of 8% of revenues. And with this contribution this year, our balance would be 9.2%. So we would be over our goal. We would actually return for the first time to the level we were at in 2007 before the the Great Recession of the 2007 through 2009 period. So that just gives you a little bit of information on the budget that we're working on. A number of members in the House and Senate have spent a lot of time working on this budget. And I want to conclude with just two comments uh, about legislation that I presented last week. Every member, every senator and representative will sponsor some of their own legislation. And so I thought I'd comment about two things that were presented from the House uh, floor on Monday. One bill expands uh, voting rights uh, early, uh, early, voting, uh, early voting procedures to assisted living uh, nursing facilities to those who are in independent living units. In Tennessee State Code, local election commissions are already required to bring early voting absentee balloting processes to assisted living communities, but it's not clear whether those living on that campus 
who are in independent living dwellings are permitted to participate in these activities. This is a piece of legislation that makes it clear that they are. Tennessee has very good voter laws. We've been very vigilant with uh, the voting procedures that uh, that we've authorized, and this is a reasonable extension that will help uh, other uh, residents on these facilities who are probably also um, uh, senior citizens and may have limited ability to, to drive to the polls on Election Day. Um, and then one final piece of legislation I thought I would mention. Uh, about a year ago, I began discussing with, uh, with some teachers and their representatives things that we could do to help teachers. This was in the middle of the, the COVID economic downturn, and so we didn't have a lot of extra financial resources. And so we began discussing what we could do to help teachers in a way that, that wouldn't require a, a substantial financial allocation. And one thing that was brought to my attention was that under the School Discipline Act, teachers have the authority to use reasonable force to correct and restrain students so that they don't hurt themselves or someone else but they don't have civil immunity if they exercise this authority. And so Monday night, the House passed a bill that would grant them civil immunity when they use uh, uh, the, the authority already granted to them under the School Discipline Act to correct, and to correct students. What this means is if a teacher is doing what they're authorized to do in their, in their job, they can't be sued and have someone, for example, take their house away in some kind of a damage award. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, that was State Representative Charlie Baum you just heard from covering a number of topics, including broadband education, capital improvements, the Rainy Day Fund. Um, how much of these... Can I interrupt? Absolutely. I'm so sorry. Charlie, I know you're too humble to do this, but it's a proud dad moment. You have got to tell the listeners about your daughter and her piece of legislation that we're running because you should be very, very proud of your daughter. Thank you very much, Senator White. I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> my uh, middle child, my daughter, uh, Anna Jane Baum, is interested in doing something to raise awareness of the problems associated with uh, sec sexual trafficking and human trafficking and also trying to do something to uh, prevent this from occurring. And so she and some of her peers have put up awareness posters at several high schools and middle schools in Rutherford County, those that have been open over the course of the past year with, in, in spite of um, uh, the COVID pandemic. She uh, is, has, has found a Senate sponsor, Senator White, to sponsor a piece of legislation that would also put awareness posters up at the Tennessee Welcome Centers around the state. Tennessee has 16 Welcome Centers that many visitors pass through when they travel through the state. This is a piece of legislation that would put up sex trafficking and human trafficking awareness posters along with Tennessee's hotline number and web page address where individuals can get additional information or can contact the authorities if they need assistance. And, and I'm very grateful that uh, Senator White has agreed to sponsor this piece of legislation. Uh, the, our listeners sh may or may not realize that Senator White has been a champion in this area for many, many years. And so when my daughter um, mentioned this idea to me, I knew exactly who to suggest she asked to sponsor this legislation. Uh, Senator White has done a lot uh, in order to raise awareness and to prevent sexual trafficking and human trafficking. She is the go-to person in the state Senate on this topic. I didn't want to shout out to me, but I do want to, his daughter is absolutely fabulous. Um, she's very intelligent, very articulate. She called and um, 
got a meeting with me and of course Representative Baum is of course sponsoring that in the house but I did want to shout out because when a 17 year old takes that initiative you know we only hear bad things in the media about what students and children are doing and so this is a 17 year old that's really making a difference so I wanted Charlie to give his daughter a shout out. Well the future is very bright when you hear stories like that it makes you uh, happy to see what's going to be coming up in these next couple years so all right thank you guys so much we're going to take a quick time out thank you State Rep Charlie Baum for giving us a few minutes there and uh we're going to take a time out and shuffle things around, and we'll get the show uh, back here in just a moment. You're listening to News Radio WGNS. We'll be right back. Thank you. This is Jason with Tire World. We're having our annual at cost tire sale now through Saturday. That's right, all tire brands will be sold at cost for one week only. Not only will all tire prices be drastically reduced, but increased savings with manufacturer rebates as well. So if you're in need of tires and looking for the best price around, you will not want to miss Tire World's annual at cost tire sale. At Tire World, we keep your family rolling. Hi, this is Amanda at Animal City. Come see us at 919 Northwest Broad Street here in Murfreesboro. Don't let fleas get the jump on your pet. Stop by Animal City for premium flea and tick protection to keep your pet safe. Here at Animal City, we are longtime pet lovers and pet keepers. We also carry a variety of hard-to-find products for your specialty pets. Come see us and let our 30 years worth of experience be helpful for you. You can find Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. We have a club steak, and the club steak can be cooked to any flavor that you want. It is the club steak. It's a seven-ounce piece of steak, and we named it that way because it looks like and it has the shape of a golf club. We have a low-calorie menu and a low-carb menu. So depending on whatever diet that you like, we have options for you that are available at Demas's. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615-930-0088. A whole house air purifier. 615-930-0088. Welcome back in right now, 829 the time as we are just about halfway home through the action line, but uh, plenty to discuss and um, I wanted to let folks know if they have any questions for us to text us at 615-893-1450 as we get the phone lines tied up this morning and trying to work everybody in. The text line is going to be your best bet uh, as far as getting any questions, comments, or concerns to us, but we will certainly have that ready to go as soon as you text us, 615 893 
1450. Alrighty, our next guest, State Senator Don White, joining us. Don, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for coming in and uh, being a part of the show this we morning. We all survived the storms. I yes. know Smyrna got a little bit damaged, but I don't think anyone was harmed. I think some property damage. So our thoughts and prayers goes out to those homeowners that's going to have a couple of rough months getting their everything fixed, but I know no one was injured, and so that's the most important. We had kind of a, a neat moment happen last night as uh, Bart had kind of got together a group text for everybody here and just make sure we're all okay everybody doing okay after the storm and uh every couple minutes you get a ding on my phone and you know each person saying yep good yep we're good you know everybody um you know kind of letting us know where they're at so uh kind of a cool moment there you hear your phone go off and say one more person made it that's good news exactly (laughs) things did get kind of crazy last night but um well certainly uh one of the things that we've discussed uh when you guys were here about a month ago and things that we've discussed already this morning but a big uh chunk of the discussion this year has been education um schools got hit really hard last year with COVID, particularly teachers and administration. And uh, there were some things that were put into place to to kind of help them out moving forward. One of the things was um, if a teacher's test scores for their students are particularly low on a given year, maybe they would be reprimanded. They'd be, um, you know, they looked into a little bit. But this year with students in and out of the classroom, doing online work, doing in-classroom work, missing a lot of school, um, you guys put up a little bit of a protective barrier, if you would, for teachers to, to make sure that they are not judged unfairly based on what had happened last year. Talk about that a little bit more, if you would. Oh, absolutely. Um, of course, our teachers have done an amazing job. You know, they have had struggles throughout the year you know I mean we would be in school for two weeks an outbreak would happen we'd have to go online for two weeks so I admire any teacher in Rutherford County and Murfreesboro City for what they have had to do they've adjusted um, they've done the very best they possibly can so I say wonderful job Murfreesboro City and Rutherford County teachers thank you for everything you are doing for our kids and I know this has been probably one of the worst years you've had teaching so thank you so much for um, doing what you're doing and um, trying to teach our children in this very difficult time. But um, in special session, um, we went back for an organization session in uh, the second week in January. Then the next week we had a special session just dedicated to education issues. And one of the bills that uh, I was honored to carry for the governor was a hold harmless bill. And basically what it says is, any teacher we're going to do the TN ready test just because if we don't do it this year what we'll have to go off of is three-year-old data and so we've got to see what the learning loss was for the students during this time um, that they didn't have consistency either and I know parents have done all they can do to help at home but kids need consistency they need to know you know they're in school what their subjects are going to be what's going to be taught how it's going to be taught and just with COVID we couldn't have that so there has been learning loss and so we are going to have take the tea and ready um, just to get scores also one of the bills we passed was the summer school after school program just to get the data off of that to show what the student really needs I mean they may have more learning loss in math than they did in English or science so we're really going to have to show where that kid needs um, more help and so we're going to take the TN ready this year it's going to be a paper pencil test we're giving six weeks window so for those parents out there that child may have medical issues a compromised immune system that's had to keep their child home this entire year and maybe not feel comfortable sending them back into a classroom Um, students have 
will have the leeway and parents will have the leeway with a school district to um, have a proctor in a room with you know only six kids if you want to put them in a gymnasium spread them out as long as there's a proctor so it will be a paper pencil test um, six weeks to take it and then when the scores of course come back they'll notify the parents of hey you may want to enroll your child in this six-week summer school program we're going to have this summer and next summer it's totally optional for parents if they want to enroll in those summer school programs but when the test scores come back, if the test score benefits the teacher, the teacher can use the scores. If the test scores do not benefit the teacher, they do not have to use the test scores this year just because we know it's been a rough year and there has been learning loss. And I think that's something that gets looked at every year, regardless of whether kids are in the classroom normal amount or not. So to look at it from this perspective and say, you know, it's already hard enough to, to get that information in and, and get the students up to where they need to be, but they've done such a great job in the past of that. But now with, with the missing time in that, um, that, I think that is important to, you know, kind of level the playing field because that would be kind of tough for them to, um, to expect the same results with so many kids missing school. And as you mentioned, some kids not in the classroom uh, nearly as much as others, even because they were, they're more medically fragile or were, um, needing to stay home. That is correct. So we want to be very flexible and understand parents and students needs as well. All righty. Any final thoughts on that bill or um, on that subject that you'd like to mention while we're on the topic? Unless anyone wants to email or text in a, a question about it, I'll be happy to answer, but I think uh, we've covered most of it. All righty. Uh, one of the other things we talked about last time that I wanted to touch up on was health care available to residents in Tennessee. Um, and we can uh, discuss that here in uh, just a second. Are we ready to uh, jump on? Okay, we can jump on that right now, actually. We will be ready to go. Um, wanted to talk about the health care availability to residents in Tennessee. Um, and one of the questions we had uh, in regards to that, is this a state decision or a federal decision as far as uh, health care for our residents? How does that get put together? Who makes those decisions? And do we have any new information since we spoke on that last? Uh, thank you. This is uh, Dr. Brian Terry. Uh, appreciate you having me here. Um, it really kind of depends on uh, some of the decisions. To, when you talk about health care, one of the, uh, you know, that's different than health insurance, you know, and access to health care. You know, here in Rutherford County, we have, uh, you know, great hospitals. We have uh, great physicians, and, and there's uh, pretty, re pretty readily access uh, to care. What uh, I do know that's going on in the state right now, there is a bill that we will be considering called uh, certificate of need reform and that's one of the um, things when you're looking to um, uh, in, uh, increase services or increase bed availability is there a need in that community or in that uh, county for those uh, services and by expanding uh, access or by expanding giving giving other hospitals ability to build uh, in that area does that uh, negatively impact the other hospitals there so like one of the issues that's out there rural rural hospitals uh, and as I've said before they're uh, the way they stay open is you have to have revenue producing providers and revenue producing uh, procedures and it's very difficult sometimes to get those providers out there just from contract standpoints and and um, uh, but if you uh, open up certificate of need and do away with it in rural areas, uh, then you may have a hospital there that has radiology service, uh, may have surgery there. But if you uh, if you allow an, uh, an outpatient 
radiology, like MRI or something like that across the street or a surgery center across the street, then what you basically do is you take away the revenue producing um, uh, uh, procedures there at that hospital and then they're more apt to, to go under. And so those are some of the things that we're trying to look at is how can we improve access in counties like you know Rutherford County, Davidson County, uh, improve, uh, make it more of a freer market, but, but not uh, escalate any of the, the problems that may be occurring in rural Tennessee. Um, I guess there there was one thing um, uh, when we had the whole uh, certificate of need to have a um, additional hospital here. Um, both those locations were in my district, and I didn't even know about it. Nobody contacted me on either side, and I um, I got I got involved afterwards when I found out, and I called the um, the agency, the state agency that reviewed all that in, and they told me a lot that I didn't even know about about certificate of need of hospitals and all that, and I was very upset. I think the world of uh, we got HC uh, uh, what HCA Stone TriStar and Smyrna Stonecrest, then we got a great facility here, St. Thomas, and there was no reason as we're expected to grow by um, by two to three hundred thousand over the next thirty years. There's no reason why we shouldn't also have Vanderbilt. Of course, now the hospitals look at it as a competitor. It's a business competitor. We want to keep our competitor out. I don't look at it like that. I look at it as what's best for the health care of my constituents, and I think it'd be good to have the other major hospital chain here in the future and to give them a foothold like an emergency room. They had requested 48 beds, and the state agency said there wasn't a need right now for more than 28 beds. And St. Thomas was asking for a second hospital two miles from their current hospital for this facility for 28 beds. And I said, well, do you have the ability to edit a request? And they said, yeah. I said, well, why didn't you? We never exercised that. But they said they have the ability. I said, well, it's awful to keep Vanderbilt out of this market because while they won't, won't, don't want to build a full hospital now, there's not a need for it. 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we may need it. So what we've actually done is delayed Vanderbilt entering this market probably for 15 or 20 years. So they're appealing that. And like I said, I don't look at things from a business standpoint. I look at it from a long-term health care standpoint, and it, it doesn't hurt our community to have a, a third hospital in the future here. So um, uh, on, other, on other things, I also want to announce something I saw on the news this morning. Uh, former U.S. Senator Bill Brock of Chattanooga died at age 90, and uh, he defeated Al Gore Sr. in 1970 to take that U.S. Senate seat. And I served with his son, Oscar, on the State Executive Committee, and Oscar currently serves as our national committeeman to the to the National Party in Washington. Uh, so I want to give my condolences to the Brock family. Um, there also, um, I address one thing that's about, about that's put me in the news all across the state is my effort to hold Chancellor Lyle accountable. People are still calling in around the state daily asking where that's at. That resolution is dead for the year. Um, it was defeated by three Republicans teaming up with Democrats on a small subcommittee. We had 63 co-signers on the, the bill that should have proceeded on, and but it never had a chance to be voted on. They used a procedural to, to kill it. And um, uh, Speaker Sexton announced at our caucus meeting that he's going to form an ad hoc committee to study judicial re complete judicial reform. So this has brought a lot of attention to the, um, um, I, I don't want to say corruption, but to the problems in the judicial system, especially in some of our larger cities, and how partisan they can be and how they're legislating from the bench. So he's going to form a ad hoc committee this summer to study that. Then when we come back into session in January, hopefully that ad hoc committee will come up with some, with some needed reforms. 
and just uh, continue to encourage leadership to support judicial reform. And I will continue to be pushing that as well. Uh, we recently had uh, Scott Sapicki of, um, of Murray County, Columbia. He passed the uh, through the House and Senate the Transgender Sports Bill mm -hmm. that protects women's rights in sports. I think that's very important uh, because when people say we want to give rights to transgenders, like a man who, who believes he's a woman or wants to live his life as a woman, that's the freedom they, they have a right to do. But in doing that, it takes away rights of a woman. Because even if you have a sex change operation or take hormone treatments or anything, your bone and muscle density is different and, and a male's heart's larger. So it's hard for a, um, for a woman to compete against a male in a woman's sports event, and it's cheating them out of scholarships, especially if you're a poor student and the only way that you have opportunities to get a good education is through a sports scholarship it cheats that girl who's born a woman uh, out of their their opportunities so it's not fair um, because where this has been implemented uh, around the nation in california and, and connecticut boys have been actually winning state championships uh, and cheating the the girls out of out of uh, what they've worked for their whole lives so it's just not fair um, that passed uh, the um, also I'm working on the uh, the bathroom notice bill um, that does not prohibit anyone from using a bathroom uh, but what it does do is in businesses that and property owners that have a policy of letting the opposite sex use a restroom which is a very very small percentage in Tennessee um, you would have to put a sign outside the bathroom door letting a woman know that a man could be waiting on them in the restroom. And that's only in businesses that have that policy and have multiple stalls. It wouldn't affect anyone else. Um, we also um, are working on the Unborn um, Child Dignity Act. That's uh, aborted, um, uh, aborted fetuses regardless of the reason why, whether it was to save the life of a mother or whether it was in an abortion clinic. Um, that that fetus would be um, would be taken care of and, and disposed of in a dignified manner. Right now, abortion clinics um, put that um, hospitals already have a dignified policy in place across the state, but uh, a lot of these clinics just put it in with the medical waste or grind it up and flush it down the toilet. And we want to make sure they're either cremated or buried with dignity. Um, it doesn't restrict abortions; it just says they must be handled with dignity. Um, and uh, we got other bills going forward. We got the, of course, we got three different bills on open carry permits in Tennessee to join the the a lot of other states in line. And uh, the three bills are running. One of those is the governor's bill. It is the weakest of the three bills, but it also provides open carry with some restrictions. Then we got some that uh, makes it wide open, and uh, they're they're all running right now. But I would say the one that will most likely be passed that has the base of, of support and authority passed the Senate is the governor's bill, being and the House being carried by William Lamberth. Um, that is, uh, I believe, it's just came through calendar. It should be on the floor either probably next week or the week after uh, to for a vote. Um, and that's all I have as far as uh, I'll answer any other questions. That's all I have right now. And then Dr. Terry's here and he can update us on his agenda. All righty, that was State Representative Tim Rudd joining us, and before that, Dr. Brian Terry. We did have one question come up uh, referring to hospitals in the area, and I'll just read this as it's coming up. It says, I live in Woodbury, and our little hospital is hanging on but always has challenges. What can be done to strengthen little hospitals in Woodbury, Shelbyville, Manchester, and other areas like that? Uh, thank you, appreciate the uh, questions, Dr. Brian Terry here. Uh, again, one of the things that help, can help rural hospitals is getting, uh, like I said, revenue-producing providers, revenue-producing procedures in those hospitals. 
you know, just the average inpatient um, setting just does not help keep those afloat. Uh, one of the issues uh, that I that I think it's it's, it's payer mix uh, from a lot of from a lot of those uh, providers that are out there or a lot of those facilities that are out there, and sometimes they are disadvantaged in that you know bigger communities or bigger uh, groups have uh, more leverage uh, with insurance contracts, and sometimes in the, those rural areas, the insurers do do not give them as good of a contract and so it's it disadvantages them so i've actually tried to run bills before that if you have a higher uh, percentage of 10 care that uh, you would at least in the surrounding areas be offered a contract that was comparable uh, so that would at least attract uh, providers out in that area so that's one of the things that we can do to to help it's just a matter of getting that through the general assembly all right, and then one more question um, on healthcare. There were somebody asking about um, more resources. If we have more hospitals available, more doctors' offices available, more resources in that, uh, would that help with cost? Would that change cost at all, or is that kind of a different animal in itself as far as um, you know medical costs and things like that to, to a patient? Does that make a difference there, or is that um, kind of a different different ball? I'm not sure I quite understand the question, but I, I'll segue into something that we actually have done here, and that's. Um, uh, t- the the latest ten care waiver ten care three point and mm-hmm. and a lot of people uh, it's a misnomer to call it a block grant it's not a block grant um, it's actually a shared savings program it's uh, it's one of the it is the first that in the in the nation and and what we have we don't get a uh, a block of money and then whatever doesn't get spent nationally they have something uh, that's called a budget neutrality cap and if and it basically that is based on all your population, how much they think it's going to cost you potentially to, to, to uh, cover these uh, patients. And if, if you come in underneath that, which we have consistently done in the state of Tennessee, we would get a shared savings. Now, we don't know how much that's going to be, but uh, if the feds allocate us, you know, another $100 million, uh, you know, $500 million because of shared savings, then using those funds to get uh, to those providers like in rural areas or those hospitals in rural areas, we can actually help keep them more afloat uh, or attract more providers out in those areas. So those are some of the things that we uh, can look at as far as, as uh, helping those areas. Okay. I think the listener, they did clarify a little bit um, referring to cost is, um, and I think they're kind of looking at this like maybe like a business with supply and demand. If there's more hospitals, will the cost of surgery go down for somebody perhaps? Um, would the cost of care go down perhaps for somebody who's, who's getting medical treatment? If there are more available hospitals, more uh, doctor's offices, um, but I don't know that that makes much of a difference um, the way they put that together. Yeah. yeah, I think what they're talking about is free market competition from that aspect. Uh, the problem, like one of the issues that we have uh, in particular, like when they were talking about the CON, uh, that Representative Rhodes was talking about for Vanderbilt, uh, one of the concerns that they had in that was uh, nursing. You know, you may have extra beds, but if you don't have the nurses there and you have to um, uh, go in a bidding war for that, you might actually increase some of those costs uh, to get those nurses there. So uh, it's it's a very complex situation. And uh, that, in fact, that's one of the bills that's coming through is to try to help relieve some of that uh, nursing shortage and that's some some of the issues that we're looking at. 
All righty, that was State Representative Dr. Brian Terry. Thank you so much for uh, clearing that up for our listener there. And uh, we're going to take a quick timeout. We did have some more questions on education when we come back, and we'll get to whatever other questions we've compiled here. We do have a few of them to get to, so uh, we will answer those listener questions for you when you get back. Thanks for uh, sending those into us. 615-893-1450 is the number if you have any questions to text us, and uh, we'll try to answer those questions here in the next couple minutes for you. All righty, we'll be right back. Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. We're talking with Glenn King. How old were you when you enlisted? Barely 17. In this salute, we talked to a veteran who served in the Korean War. After I got out, eventually ended up working for the federal government. I worked in Huntsville, Alabama at the Army Missile Command. Ended up managing several of the major air defense missile systems. One was the Stinger and the Red Eye, the shoulder-held missile systems. Then there was the Nike Hercules. And then from there, the Hawk missile. And the last system that I had was the Patriot. And the Patriot missile, it it was highly classified for a long time until the Gulf War. The missiles you're talking about, these are things that are in history books. Well, they're still using some of the systems like the Red Eye and the Stinger. They're heat seekers. You were on the ground floor, so to speak, of seeing these missiles and how they operate and how they're going to be used. One of the things that I was very, very involved in is the training of the armed forces as to how to use the missile systems. Back then, we didn't have any enemies that were trying to encroach on us where we needed to use them. So it wasn't until the Gulf War that we got to use some of them. This has been a WGNS salute to veterans with World War II and Korean War veteran Glenn King. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Locally and veteran owned. Fast and available 24-7. Join the Home Health VIP program at Restoration One for disaster prevention. Restoration One, the water damage experts. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. This is Kim Dunaway from Sunshine Nutrition Center. You hear me on Monday mornings at 720 talking about how to lead a healthier lifestyle. We carry supplements, personal care, and grocery items at both our Murfreesboro and Smyrna locations, family owned and operated since 1989. Old friends, new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Jason with Tire World. We're having our annual at-cost tire sale now through Saturday. 
That's right, all tire brands will be sold at cost for one week only. Not only will all tire prices be drastically reduced, but increased savings with manufacturer rebates as well. So if you're in need of tires and looking for the best price around, you will not want to miss Tire World's annual at-cost tire sale. At Tire World, we keep your family rolling. Welcome back in right now at the time 8. 54 as we just about wrap up here the action line but still just a few things to discuss and i wanted to thank you guys all again for coming in as early this morning charlie Baum got us started of course tim rudd dr brian terry and state senator don white all joining us this morning as well so we appreciate you guys and uh hello always always love to have you and always uh, good to tackle some of those listener questions we get them as they come in so and if uh, they can't reach us or text in or call i know all these gentlemen and myself will be happy to meet um we all have our district office mine is usually just love coffee uh here in murfreesboro and carpe artista in smyrna so i know these gentlemen along with myself would love to meet you at a local coffee shop and discuss whatever is important to you and your family so please give all of our offices a call um we're all very accessible and like to hear from our constituents and if i have any complaints in my district just call brian terry's office so. <laughs> <laughs> now i have a wonderful we all have wonderful assistants just call our offices and they'll try to address your your issues or problems I know any of you guys would agree with this, too. The only uh, bad question is one you don't ask. So if anybody has questions, comments, things like that to reach out to you guys, I know Mike Sparks is the same way. He says, um, you know, we'd rather have you ask a question that maybe have already been answered or, or one that, you know, we know about already other than not ask it and have it fall through the cracks. And, uh, you know, you guys, of course, represent uh, the people who live here in Tennessee. So them voicing their uh, opinions and questions to you is, is the utmost importance. We have a great delegation and we're all very accessible. And so please reach out to any of us um, with any concerns that you possibly have all right so we got about four minutes here i feel like we should have mike sparks in for this next one but we'll uh tackle it briefly um talking about amazing grace adding that um to to represent tennessee as a state song talk about that if you would um and and where, where okay. he was at uh, also mike extends his apologies he couldn't be here he had an event in smyrna in his district they couldn't be here i said that's all we'll cover for him he's been very passionate about this for a while and he's um I'm on the naming and designating committee, and it came through uh, this week um, about na adding, we already have uh, several state songs, but adding Amazing Grace, a gospel song, as one of our state songs, which is, of course, one of the most recorded songs in music history. And he pushed that through, and he's very passionate about that, and it passed unanimously through subcommittee, should pass through committee and be one of our state songs by the end of session. And I want to thank Mike for carrying that. And it has passed through the Senate as well. And the best part of it, it has to be the Dolly Parton version. So go Dolly. <laughs> All righty, guys. Any final thoughts this morning? we got about two minutes. And, again, wanted to thank you guys for coming on, answering these listener questions as we get them. It's not an easy task. But any final thoughts this morning? Yeah, I, I do want to uh, mention a bill that uh, I'm carrying with uh, Senator White. It's First Responder Safety Act. And that's something that uh, – uh, Charlie uh, mom worked on with me as well and what that is is currently it is a class A misdemeanor to harass somebody and if you have harassed just one individual you know you're obviously impacting their liberty and their family but when you harass a first responder uh, you're uh, it impacts the liberty of the entire community it, it, it um, impairs their ability to recruit uh, and retain these first responders and puts us at risk and so I've got that 
Uh, it's going to be a Class E felony. I've got that in finance right now, and it's got a $458,000 fiscal note, which tells you that it is a problem in the state of Tennessee. So that's something that uh, we're passionate about, helping our first responders. Hey, um, Brian, is, is that the uh, the same bill that we discussed this week where they were talking about protecting from the, there's a separate bill that uh, coming through on first responders, uh, police and fire, that I forgot the bill number, but it came through the uh, the House this this week, wasn't it? That's and that's to protect them um, um, from uh, someone using deadly force against them when they're in the pursuit of their their job. Then some of the arguments on the floor was ridiculous. I remember one said, "Well, does this affect peaceful peaceful protesters that throw things at first responders but didn't mean to kill them?" I mean, how can you be a peaceful protester and throw th bricks and stuff at people? So that that came up to protect them and give um, uh, stiffer penalties for that. Do uh, you know any more on that? Yeah, it's uh, protecting first responders or, or uh, dealing with this where it's riots or anything like that is something that we've made a priority in the House. That was uh, Leader Gant. That was his bill, and I've signed on to that bill, and it was uh, something that we've been working for, uh, for uh, to make it a priority for us this session. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much for your time this morning. Thank and, you for uh, having us. Absolutely. We hope to talk to you guys again soon and uh, keep the information rolling. Love having you guys on and uh, certainly look forward to the next time we can all catch up. State Representative Charlie Baum joining us this morning. With us now, Tim Rudd, Dr. Brian Terry, and State Senator Don White. Thank you guys all very much. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. You too. Thank, thank you. you. All righty, guys. Truman Show coming up here in just a few moments. we got some local news and weather for you in the meantime. So stay right here. You're listening to your good neighbor station. News Radio WGNS.